Pelvic Rehab Research Podcast. My name is Becca Bissadolshensky, and I'll be your host guiding you as we take a deep dive into all things pelvic floor and research-based. Whether you're a pelvic newbie or a seasoned clinician, I'm here to help busy therapists listen through the Women's Health Study Guide. So if you're studying for the Women's Certified Specialist Exam or just interested in learning more about pelvic health research, we've got you covered. Hey, pelvic people. Welcome back. Today is an article by Kathleen Joan Pantano, who is associated with the Cleveland State University PT Department when she wrote this in 2008. The objective of this descriptive analysis article is to describe the current methods of treatment and prevention used by physical therapists in the United States for the female athlete triad. Since we've already discussed the three components of the female athlete triad in more depth during prior article reviews, I'll do a brief shakedown of it one more time, any changes in opinions or thoughts, and then some of the differences that this article has compared to others. One really important piece that sets this apart is that the author made this almost a call to action to physical therapists in reassessing how therapists detect, treat, and prevent the female athlete triad. Remember that the female athlete triad encompasses the loss of energy availability, which is typically altered through a dietary intake that is less than that of the exercise energy expenditure. Other components include the changes in menstrual function and bone density. So the triad is disordered eating, one, amenorrhea for two, and osteoporosis for three. Deviating from optimal states of energy availability, normal menstrual function, or eumenorrhea, and normal bone health, the conditions of the triad can progress to the extremes of dysfunction, indicated by low energy availability, so with or without an eating disorder, functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, or loss of menstruation, which leads to low bone mineral density and osteoporosis. The complex mechanisms by which a low energy availability lead to reproductive dysfunction aren't really fully understood. It's thought that the low energy availability can inhibit the release of hormones in the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the ovaries. A deficiency in energy availability can suppress the gonadotropin-releasing hormone, or GnRH, from the hypothalamus, further inhibiting the release and the pulsatility of luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone from the pituitary gland. Low concentrations of luteinizing hormone in the blood can limit estrogen secretion by the ovaries, irregular menstrual cycles, or oligomenorrhea, or the cessation of menstruation, which is amenorrhea. When caloric deficiencies and metabolic changes result in hypothalamic amenorrhea for three months or more, new bone formation can be delayed or limited. During adolescence, hypothalamic amenorrhea can impede the accumulation of peak bone mass, causing low bone density and osteoporosis. So we know that this can turn into increased susceptibility to stress fractures with high-impact sports. The development of low bone density and failure to reach peak bone mass during adolescence can increase the risk of osteoporotic fracture in adulthood. Although the prevalence of having all three triad components simultaneously is reported to be low, many physically active women have one or two of the components and are considered to be at risk for developing the full syndrome. Physical therapists play an important role as part of the interdisciplinary team involved in the detection, the treatment, and the prevention of the female athlete triad. Levels of knowledge about the triad and specific measures used by physical therapists for the treatment and prevention are not currently known. This study mentions a previous study that was in 2006 that reported that 43% of physical therapists surveyed were able to identify all three components of the triad. To be fair, there was only seven physical therapists that participated. So seeing that they only had seven responses gave me some secondhand guilt. So maybe I'll respond more to those email surveys from the California and American PT associations. 
The findings reported by the 2006 study may not accurately reflect the knowledge that a larger sample of physical therapists in the United States have about the triad. In addition, college coaches may not perceive physical therapists as having a role in treating athletes with the female athlete triad, and as a result, they may rely more on athletic trainers for advice about the condition. So let's jump into the methods. They created and implemented a survey that included demographic information about the survey participants, general questions regarding physical therapists' knowledge of the female athlete triad, and an assessment of interventions and prevention strategies used by physical therapists in the U.S. who had treated female athletes in the past 12 months. The survey consisted of 36 questions, including multiple choice questions, 10-point Likert scales, and open-ended questions for treatment and prevention strategies requiring a narrative response. A 10-point Likert scale was used to determine the likelihood of the physical therapist that would apply for a particular strategy for the intervention of the female athlete triad. So those Likert scales are basically that 0 to 10 scale, ranging and indicating a behavior that the respondent was likely to do either not at all or extremely likely to do. After ethical approval for the study by the University University Institutional Review Board was received, the survey was mailed to a random sample of 500 physical therapists currently practicing in the United States. The sample consisted of physical therapists who were current members of the sports physical therapy or the orthopedic physical therapy sections of the APTA. So who responded? More than seven people. 205 PTs responded to the mailed survey, so that was like a 41% rate. Nearly 27%, so 55 of the 205 of the PTs who did respond, were certified or licensed athletic trainers. 61% of the PTs who responded to the survey stated that they knew the three components of the female athlete triad. But when they were asked to correctly list all the components of the athlete triad, only 21% of the survey respondents were able to accurately list all three. To give a little bit more credit where it's due, 42% knew the first component regarding disordered eating, 53% knew the second component, which is regarding the menstrual changes, and 58% knew the third regarding bone density, which is a little bit better than 21%, but it shows that some symptoms are easily forgotten even with people who are specialists. Here's what I think is most important clinically. Of the 205 participants, 121, so 59%, were comfortable discussing disordered eating and menstrual dysfunction with female athletes. Also, 84% agreed that absent or abnormal menstruation is not a normal consequence of exercise. When encountering an athlete suspected of having one or more of the components of the triad, physical therapists were more likely to talk to the athlete, the athlete's parent, and the athlete's physician more frequently than referring the athlete to a coach or another healthcare provider. So despite increased exposure of the syndrome, PTs may lack sufficient knowledge about the condition, particularly if the content of the female athlete triad is not included in PT curriculums or incorporated into clinical practice. Of the 205 PTs responding to the survey, only 26% reporting having used specific methods of treatment for the female athlete triad in the past 12 months. Respondents varied in treatment frequency of female athletes. 81% a 0-50% to caseload, including female athletes. At the lower end, 8% reported they hadn't treated any female athletes in the past year. I think it's fair that some members of the sports and ortho sections of the APTA have administrative or academic positions where their contact with female athletes is probably minimal or non-existent. The author noted one might argue that regardless of the percentage of female athletes treated, PT clinicians should probably have the knowledge of intervention strategies used for the triad anyways. I kind of agree with that statement. I think that's a fair expectation. The results of this study showed that although more than half, 61%, of the respondents perceived having adequate knowledge of the triad components, 
only a small percentage could identify all of the components. And it's important to note that most female athletes experiencing a part of the female athlete triad are not experiencing all of the symptoms. This study didn't accept anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa as responses for the first component, since most of the athletes with the triad practice disordered eating rather than having an eating disorder. It's not known if gender, age, and the number of years in clinical practice could have influenced the survey responses. A nearly equal number of men, 102, and women at 103 responded to the survey. Therefore, it's kind of difficult to determine if gender had any effect on the responses. Male clinicians may be just as knowledgeable and skilled as female clinicians in treating and preventing the condition. 70% of the 205 participants in this study were between 36 and 55 years old and had more than 16 years of clinical practice. So it's likely that participants who knew about the triad had learned about it from professional journals, educational seminars, and professional meetings or websites rather than being educated about it in PT school. 59% said that they felt comfortable discussing disordered eating and menstrual dysfunction with female athletes. This attitude is an important start for preventing and limiting the progression of the triad disorders. 84% correctly stated that amenorrhea is not a normal outcome of exercise, while 16% still believed that myth. Educated PTs still need to instill in athletes, parents, coaches, and other health professionals that amenorrhea and menstrual irregularities, although common, are indications that medical treatment is warranted. It's encouraging to note that when encountering an athlete suspecting of having one or two of the components of the triad, PTs were more likely to talk to the athlete, the parent, and the physician regarding their concerns. The most frequently reported treatment strategies for United States physical therapists were improving nutrition, referring athletes to physicians for assessment of menstrual dysfunction changes, stress fractures, and oral contraceptive uses. We know that oral contraceptives as an option for management of menstrual dysfunction and restoring bone loss though is still pretty controversial. Another positive is that to detect and prevent triad disorders, PTs most often questioned or monitored athletes for disordered eating behaviors, eating habits, nutritional intake, energy level, history of menses during pre-participation screening exams. Interventions for the female athlete triad were described by PTs in the study as strategies that have also been endorsed by the International Olympic Committee's Medical Commission, ACSM, and the National Athletic Trainers Association. The author noted that most US PTs would refer out to a physician or a dietitian, which is important as that's supported by the Female Athlete Triad Coalition. Less PTs mentioned referring out to mental health specialists. They were often reported consulting with other PTs or athletic coaches before a mental health specialist. The author noted that might be because some PTs don't feel comfortable or competent in referring athletes to mental health professionals for psychological counselings. They may depend more on a physician or a dietitian to determine that need. It's also of note that athletes who have access to mental health professionals may often underutilize those services. This could be due to stigma surrounding, seeking, and using those services. The author notes it's the PT's responsibility to promote whatever treatment is necessary for the athlete's return to health, including motivating the athlete to make behavioral changes, which may require assistance with a mental health practitioner. I'm sure many listening also sometimes find it hard to encourage others to utilize mental health supports. Some are really hesitant to acknowledge their need for this. I often reframe this in a way that normalizes mental health services. I was fortunate to have some in-services with mental health specialists who encouraged us to reframe it similar to, do you do your own taxes? Or do you solve your own plumbing problems? It's normal to seek help in areas we might be uneducated or struggling in for other parts of our lives. So I found that normalizing and reframing it has helped with many of my patients. 
especially for some of those younger females who already think they have too much wrong with them already just by coming to see us for physical therapy. Just my take. I think the message of this article is that our role in PT is to be well-versed in all options for these athletes. So we should be open and able to refer and discuss the importance of these different approaches. This article also noted that PTs may consult with athletic trainers, but are less likely to do this than other disciplines. This behavior might reflect the need to address medical, nutritional, and psychological concerns for the athlete first, before changes in sports participation and training are considered. I can also understand that some PTs may also be dual trained as an athletic trainer or have their specialty in orthopedics or sports, and that's why they seek other clinical specialists. Dual PT and athletic trainers were 38% of the respondents who treated female athletes in the past 12 months, so that could also be a reason. Further details about treatment strategies are looking at direct treatment approaches. Some of the more direct treatment approaches used by PTs for the female athlete triad include assessing the athlete's current training regimen, placing more focus on resistance training, and less emphasis on cardiovascular training. One therapist mentioned weight-bearing exercises, and while they are prescribed for women during menopause to increase bone mineral density, weight-bearing activities may not be enough to counteract the effect that diminished estrogen levels have on bone health in young women. Another important intervention that surprisingly was only pointed out by one PT respondent was performing a biomechanical analysis to affect factors that may contribute to stress fractures. Determining the underlying cause of an initial stress fracture is crucial to preventing future stress fractures. One interesting option they mentioned was requiring the athlete to sign a contract to increase their body weight. This can effectively be done by coordinating a plan and enlisting the support of coaches and other health professionals who are involved in the athlete's care. A mutual agreed upon contract, which holds the athlete accountable for their actions and is supported by the NADA and ACSM, may be necessary to increase compliance. I haven't really heard of that prior. I have some mixed feelings on it. I'm sure it's athlete dependent. Okay, so big picture. One of the most commonly used strategies by PTs in the US for prevention of female athlete triad was the pre-participation screening exams, which reflect current guidelines for prevention of the triad. Other PTs reported that at the start of every sports season, athletes meet with a registered dietitian to receive nutritional information and encourage healthy eating. Physical therapists also reported observing athletes for clinical signs and behaviors indicating the presence of triad risk factors, including disordered eating or eating disorders, extreme interest in weight or body fat, stress fractures, delayed or slowed healing from injuries, and psychological stress associated with coach or team pressure. Another suggestion by PTs were body fat assessments as a means of prevention of the triad. Now, NADA warns that body composition should only be assessed under certain conditions, For example, only with the same qualified individual who conducts the assessment with a registered dietitian available with a de-emphasis on ideal body weight and body fat percentage. Strategies used for prevention of the triad through education by physical therapists included giving preseason presentations about the female athlete triad, having discussions with coaches, having discussions with athletes and parents during sports screenings, and alerting the coaching staff when symptoms of the triad were suspected or observed in athletes. I think that's a great idea. I think that this research really emphasizes the lack of knowledge surrounding this concern, which is crucial in detection. Educational presentations and discussions are an excellent way to get coaches, athletes, parents, and other health professionals to learn about the triad and promote good health for female athletes. Be aware of sport team-centered programs that are implemented in high schools, such as Athletes Targeting Healthy Exercise and Nutrition Alternatives, or the Athena program. 
On to study limitations. Inherent in every survey study is the likelihood that individuals who complete the questionnaires are those who believe that they have the most knowledge about the conditions being examined. Sampling bias may have overestimated knowledge of the general population of USPTs, implying that women at risk for the triad may not be getting adequately diagnosed and treated by PTs. For conclusion and take-home points, know the triad, disordered eating, amenorrhea, and osteoporosis. Physical therapists play an important role in identifying, treating, and preventing the female athlete triad. Since many PTs in the U.S. lack some knowledge about the triad components, many athletes may not be accurately diagnosed if symptoms are missed during exams. Athletes don't need to have all three of the symptoms in order to be at risk. This article comes across, to me anyways, as a call to action. That clinicians have a responsibility to keep updated with the scientific advances about the triad through literature and continuing education. So the bottom line is optimal treatment of the female athlete triad must address the underlying cause of the triad. That's going to be that low energy availability. Energy status must be normalized primarily through modifications of diet and exercise training. I think this approach was interesting just given that it was an assessment of a small population's knowledge and treatment for the condition. We'll touch base again with Rooks in 2006 and end week two review with mostly all articles on different components of female athlete triad. As always, thank you for listening. I appreciate the reviews, the downloads, and I can even say thank you to my subscribers now. So thanks for listening. I appreciate you all, and I hope to see you listening again soon. Bye, everyone.